I got a big question to ask you this morning. Very simply this. How much can you put up with? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Well, you know, this is kind of vague. You want to want to make it a little bit more specific. Like, how much X can you put up with before you X? Is that helping? Okay, well then let me give you some ideas. We're going to probe you this morning. We're going to see how much you got in your tank. How much you got left in your tank. How much of a baby's persistent crying without stopping for hours on end can you handle? Let's ask the young moms the epitome of resilience. How much of a standstill traffic, QEW 401, 403, you're stuck in for, let's say, more than an hour. Can you handle before you come apart at the seams? How much of a bad headache can you put up with? How much of a bad smell can you put up with? How much of somebody yelling at you can you put up with? Youth? How much nagging from your parents can you put up with? How much can you endure? This morning, obviously, we are talking about the virtue of endurance. And really, endurance differs from perseverance, from resilience, from patience. I thought there's got to be a way I can illustrate this without just using words, and you know, you think of the things that come against you in life, and it's like, ah, this is endurance when, when, when it's laying on you, right? This is perseverance when you got to keep on going with this thing on you. This is resilience when you drop it, and you, you, you pick it back up, and you, and you, you drop it again, and you, you pick it back up, and you keep on going. That's resilience, and this is patience when you drop it. And it's like, it's okay. It's okay. I can do this. Through Christ, I can do this. Endurance is just that ability to stand under the weight of pressure. To withstand opposition, hardship. And I really believe more than ever that it is something that God is really trying to cultivate in our lives. The capacity to endure. To put it in a different way, maybe from the negative aspect of it, the ability to not fall apart. To not get overwhelmed to the point where we simply collapse and give up and give out and give in to whatever. The ability to keep on going under the weights and the pressures of what we call life without turning into a miserable, complaining, grumbling, depressed-looking individual. We're called to be individuals who endure in light of the world that we live in. 
people's capacity to bear the weight and pressure of living in these days, if truth be known, is at an all-time low. Families fall apart. Teenagers come to a grinding halt because they can't handle the pressures, the expectations, the demands of life where they're expected to act like 25-year-olds while they're still in a 14-year-old body. When they're expected to excel educationally far beyond really what is reasonable. You need only look at the statistics at a place like Japan and consider the amount of teenage suicide and young adult suicide all around the issue of education. Kids checking out because they can't cope. They can't endure. But putting that aside, when we're living in a present society that is constantly trying to undermine what we believe, challenge what we know, pummel our faith, tempt us, try us, do everything it can to make us cave under the pressure of a world that seems at times to be squeezing us in so that we can either just give up and, and quit and, and leave God and leave our faith and just pack it in or blend in and, and whatever. You understand that the, the virtue of endurance is a make it or break it virtue for a lot of us. This morning we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. Could you read that with me please? Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's a big ask, <laughs> right? That is a big ask. I want to skip a lot of the background material only because time is always a pressure on us. But just so that you know, there's actually four James in the New Testament. But the James who's writing this was actually the half-brother of Jesus. And we find his story in Galatians chapter 2 and Acts 15. And there's one thing that we know about James is that he's kind of like one of these guys who just gets to the point, says it as it is, and if people don't like what he's saying, he'll kind of come in afterwards and, and maybe smoothing the edges off of what he says. But when you're reading James, you, you come to the conclusion pretty quick that this is Christianity, life as a Christian, uh, boot camp 101. I mean, there are no misconceptions about what James is saying to you as you faithfully read through his little five-chapter epistle or Many don't even want to call it an epistle. They want to call it an exhortation, but we won't get into that. The point is, is James is writing, and we get that from, from chapter 1, verse 1, to what he calls the dispersion, or the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. These are Jewish Christians 
who after when persecution broke out in Jerusalem, literally got ran out of town. They packed their bags, they left their homes, and they went running for cover for their lives. And a lot of them settled on different points of throughout uh, what we would call the Middle East, but just so that you know, um, here's Jerusalem, and when persecution broke out, a lot of them moved all the way up to here. A lot of them settled in Antioch, and a lot of them got really smart, took a boat, and went to Cyprus. <laughs> I mean, it's like, if you're going to come and get me, you've got you to take a boat and row across to come and get me. The bottom line is, is that they settled in towns that were anything but Christian. They were anti-Christian. And so it doesn't take long before people started to not so much buy into the surrounding culture, but, you know, it's kind of hard to jump in a swimming pool and not get wet, right? It's kind of hard to not walk out in a sandstorm and get dirty. It's kind of hard not to go through a garage without getting stains on your clothes. And the bottom line is that they lived in, in a, a surrounding culture where the, their faith challenges, not only did they have the challenge of having to leave behind the faith they once knew, Judaism, but now with this new embraced faith in Jesus and learning to make the, the 180 turn, um, they had a number of challenges. And I think, in all fairness, James has concerns for this scattered group of people that are in very many ways a lot like us, facing the pressures of a culture surrounding them that is constantly trying to undermine what they think, undermine what they believe, and undermine how they live so that they can get them away from their faith and to live like the surrounding culture. It's, it's constantly a battle and a challenge for us. So today, I, I, what I want to do is I want to look at this. I'm kind of going backwards, but for those of you who kind of like this visually, I want us to take a look at what God or how God uses these things, these trials, to cultivate our faith in Him for the purpose of building endurance so that we can live lives that are complete and mature. And of course, what makes this journey of growth and transformation bearable and possible is the fact that God, I would actually, to quote Carlene, has the audacity to say, hey, guess what? You can choose joy right from the outset, as you live this life and journey of growing in endurance. First point, endurance. The perspective that is required. James begins by saying, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Other versions kind of put it this way. Think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. Now, interestingly, that he uses an accounting term. So those of you who've got kind of a financial background, 
this word consider or think is a word that Paul also uses when he says, I have looked at life and I have counted all things as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so here James is saying the same thing. Consider, consider what you go through, i.e. the difficulties, the harsh realities of, of living, of life. Consider those as an opportunity for joy. What he's not saying and what's implied is as opposed to just considering them an opportunity to complain and to whine and to grumble and to feel sorry for yourself and to think that God has got it against you and that this world owes you. James is saying, consider it joy. One thing about joy that differs from happiness is that joy is actually something that is it, it, it actually kind of comes out of you like a well because it's rooted in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Scripture, you're not going to find a difference between happiness and joy because from God's perspective, emotionally, they're the same things. But when you take joy from a biblical perspective and, and contrast it to what happiness is every day, there's a fundamental difference because happiness really has a lot to do with how good your circumstances are going. Uh, youth, the, the, the love of your life shows up and brings you breakfast. And, you know, if you're, if you're a girl, uh, I, I don't know if flowers still cut it anymore, but maybe he's giving you a $50 iTunes card and says, hey, listen, just because I love you. Whoa. Happy. <laughs> right? Your husband has the house clean before you get out of bed and come downstairs. Are you thinking, whoa. Woo! <laughs> da, 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 da. Okay. All right. Oh, I could have a lot of fun if I continue, but I, I'm going to use my inside voice and keep my thoughts to myself. But joy is also, or I mean, joy is kind of like unanimously associated with the Holy Spirit all throughout Scripture. And the places that it appears is just unbelievable. But here's the other thing. Here's one more thing that is, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a triad Holy Spirit, joy, and affliction. There are more instances of Scripture in Scripture where joy is associated in the context of grief, difficulty, opposition, than anything else. Meaning, quite simply, is that joy really is something that comes from God alone that can sustain you in the midst of difficulty and deep hardship and sadness. That you don't have to go scrambling for the latest Tony, you know, big smile, white teeth guy. Uh, I forget his name. But uh, Robbins. You, know, you, you don't have to get his latest book to, to uh, 
develop some kind of positive attitude over life and circumstances to feel like, hey, I can cope. That the Spirit of God residing in you longs to give you joy in the midst of what you're facing. Now, he talks about various trials, and I hope I got this right. Now, you can't really see this all that good, okay, unless you got Superman vision. But I had no other way. I could have broken up in three parts, but let me, let me just kind of read some of these things, and you tell me if any of this has ever occurred on your front doorstep or you're actually going through some of this today. Emotional swings, challenges, irritations, annoyances, frustrations, setbacks, disappointments, upsets, struggles, problems, difficulties, sadness, grievances, offenses, conflicts, unforgiveness, opposition, hardships, injustice, loss, weakness, temptations, illness, pain, depression, anxieties, heartbreaks, sorrows, persecution, attacks, death, and grief. Oh, happy day. <laughs> Right? Now, can I say something? Because I, I know this will probably be a shocker for some of us. This or these things happen not just because we are Christians, they happen because we are alive in a fallen, broken world world that list is not a list that somehow satan has reserved to use and make our lives miserable a lot of the things in that list are the things that make up daily life if you have a pulse if you have a heart, if you have the capacity to feel and to respond to life around you, you're going to encounter this stuff, whether you like it or not, whether you are a Christian or not. That's life. Now, the other hard thing, hard pill to swallow, and I was going to allude to it later on, but I might as well now. And, you know, it's kind of like taking cod liver oil. Remember when some of you, when you're growing up, you had to take cod liver oil in the morning? Your grandma put it on the, on the, tea, on the tablespoon. She said, open up wide. And you're thinking, oh, God, no. Pluck my eyelids off. but not cod liver oil pill, right? Drink it. It is a complete waste of time and spiritually futile to ask God to exempt you or exit you from those list of things that you've just seen. Do you understand? To put it in another way, is that there are a lot of believers today who believe, and really sincerely deep down in their heart, are actually almost to the point of traumatized or shocked to a place of disbelief that they actually have to face stuff like that. That somehow being a Christian means you get a get-out-of-jail-free card from all that stuff. We don't. That's life. 
But it's how we respond to that stuff that leads to our development and how we respond to that stuff is what defines us. And those are the things that God's most concerned about. That somebody has offended you, it's not the end of the world. But if it leads to you cursing them in your heart and hating them and avoiding them and waiting for an opportunity to do them back, then you can be sure that that's the stuff that God is zeroing down on saying, listen, life is too short for you to carry this kind of stuff because if someone's offended you today, man, wait, wait till next month. Right? You, you understand this. Right? I, I know this is Christianity 101 basic, but that's okay. You, you can just smile and wave. The point is that we go through a variety of trials. And, and, and these trials, very interestingly, again, James uses a word that, that is kind of like a positive and a negative. In a positive way, it refers to a test to validate but in another, in a negative way, it's, it's like a, a temptation to sin. But, but it always has this element of what are you going to do attached to it. So whether it's a temptation to steal or to lie, or whether it's, whether it's the, the, uh, the challenge of choosing to forgive or not, there's always attached this sense of what are you going to do now that this has happened to you? What are you going to do? These are the trials of life that we go through. Secondly, as a matter of fact, let me, I, I included this verse, I'm sorry, folks. I just ran ahead of myself, but First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, 6 to 7. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Wow. Right? Second point, endurance. The pressures that produce it. Okay. Well, James says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You, you look at trials and you say, I'm choosing an attitude of joy that I know the Spirit of God will give me, this deep sense of well-being and gladness in spite of what I'm facing. It's bubbling up from within. I'm going to choose that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simmer on that and let that kind of bubble in my heart, so to speak, because I know that ultimately this is testing my faith. But it's testing my faith for the purpose of producing something. Now, testing here is different from the word trial. It simply means anything that is tried to be shown or proven as genuine and therefore approved. In other words, you undergo a trial so that as you go through it, the, the, the testing that your faith goes through 
either validates your faith as being real and substantial or lacking. We talked about this last year when we did a series on faith, hope, and love. That, that faith has, I think, very, three very important components. There's, there's a belief element to it. You believe what Scripture says. You believe in God. You believe God. But then there's a trust element that in your heart you are trusting God with life and with what he's asking you to do so that there's an action component. You actually live out your belief and your trust. Well, God is always in the process of developing that because that matters to him. That matters to him. Faith is almost like the daily thing we bring in transaction in, in, in our spiritual lives. The author of Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please Him because those who, um, who believe in God, must, well, those that have faith must believe in God and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I digress, but the point is, is that God wants to develop and grow and stretch and nurture and form our faith. You know, it's very interesting because there's a corresponding verse in 1 Peter. It won't show up on the screen. Let me just check. Yes, it does. There it is. I lied. It says, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, that little phrase, proven character, is what James uses here, but he translates it, the testing of your faith. The proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. God is developing our faith. He's, he's forming it through the trials that we go through. And folks, for those of us who it almost seems like we're stating the obvious. We never see this stuff coming, do we? Right? I mean, if somebody says, I'm going to drop a bucket on your head, you don't stand there, right? You run for cover. Uh, you see a piano going down the stairways as you're walking up. You don't stand there and think about, hmm, let me just employ the laws of physics here. My weight, height, and size compared to this can stop. No, nobody tries to play Superman. The point I'm trying to get at is that trials of life never come announced. You don't get an Instagram or a tweet or whatever, a text first thing in the morning, by the way, I'm coming at 8 o'clock when you get to work to make your morning miserable. We never know when this stuff comes. Again, that's the nature of life. It hits us sometimes out of nowhere. And we wonder, oh, God. Where did this come from? As a matter of fact, Peter goes as far in the next chapter, chapter 4, says, 
dear brothers and sisters, don't be surprised at the fiery, blazing trial that you're going through as if some mysterious thing has happened to you. Well, you know, concerning the times that they lived in, concerning the fact that Nero was the emperor at that time, and Nero just had this, he had this really twisted idea that Christians make good torches for his garden parties all throughout Rome. So why get fuel and oil when you can wrap a Christian to a piece of wood and set him on fire and he'd give you at least six hours of light? Well, considering the world that James and Peter lived in, you know, fiery trials, the things that we go through are quite minimal. Third point, endurance. The process it must go through. Now, this is the tough one. And again, you know, I keep on saying this all the time. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? Well, here's an old dog who's learned something new again. Is that endurance is not static, meaning it, it's not something that you are feeling as you're bearing the weight of what you're going through and, and you just got to grin and bear it. Endurance, with the Holy Spirit's help, is something that's active. It's doing something. It, it's like yeast in dough. It's spreading. It's, it's expanding. It's moving. James says, let endurance have its full effect. Listen to what other verses say. Or I mean other translations, how they translate this. Let endurance complete its work. The message. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work. Amplified version. Let endurance do a thorough work and have its perfect result. New Living Translation. When your endurance is fully developed. The point of this is that endurance is active. And it's, it's, it's moving. It's kind of like, it's like a muscle that has just been stretched. And it's, it's been stretched, and now there's all kinds of forces in your body that work to make, to make the muscle heal and get better. And, and for those of you who are, are into health and fitness, you can explain that better than, than I can. But the point is, is that uh, when a muscle is challenged and stretched, it never just goes back to the same old. It expands, it grows. So does endurance. And James says that endurance will mature. It actually has a goal. It has a destination. Endurance is going somewhere as it's being cultivated in you. It's working towards an end. Now, endurance is an increasing and expanding virtue, but it can be sabotaged from its intended goal if we try to escape the process of enduring difficulty. And I, I you know, I, I say this because I'm preaching. I wish I, I originally what I was going to do is I was going to try to find a mannequin. Wouldn't that scare you? I think there's a dead person in the front row. And I was going to stick it right there, and I was going to dress him like me and put a mirror on his face. 
so that you know that I'm preaching to me. Aren't you glad I didn't do that? Or just some ideas are better left alone, right? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Uh, but, but the point is, is that I, and I'm sure you, really have a low threshold of tolerance to hardship, pain, difficulty, problems, on and on. And, and we're not thinking of, of ways to get through something. We're usually thinking of ways to get out of this mess. And we'll do anything. We are a generation of pain-avoiding and pain-suppressing people. There's never been a time in the history of North America where there is more medication to numb pain, numb discomfort, numb bad feelings than there is now. And it's epidemic. We have increasingly, by choice, have lost our ability to endure and to go through things and there's a multitude of reasons, and that's another message. It's actually a series. But the point is, is that when we actually, by God's grace, and I'm not saying this is a mind over matter thing, something that we do by rolling up our sleeves, but when we actually, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the encouragement of community, um, the, the, the love of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we actually go through life with these things and surrounding these, uh, being surrounded by these things and looking to these things for support, endurance grows. And we go from, from coping to actually maybe even better than coping. And that somehow we, we, people look at our lives and they don't see somebody who is falling apart. They don't see somebody who's just getting by by the skin of their teeth. But they actually see individuals who keep on living and not give up and not whine and cry and complain about the bad deal in life that they've been given. And I'll tell you, if there's ever been a whiner I mean, I have whined at times. I have boohooed to God. And you know, God is so long-suffering, right? I mean, He always has a way of saying, hmm, so you think you got it hard. And He unveils the, the curtains over here. Or He lets you have a glimpse in somebody's life over here who's got maybe six months to live and they're treasuring every moment. Endurance. You gotta let endurance do its thing. Now, how many of you are actually into physical fitness? Oh boy. So this is the kind of illustration where, you know, you, you kind of share the illustration, you talk about physiology, and you talk about brain chemistry, and, bo and body repairing itself, and everybody's going, Next. But isn't it a mystery how that when we are exercising, our body knows exactly what to do? But isn't it true that when we exercise to the point of maybe just mild discomfort, it's like the body's going, really? You want, you want me to do something with that? 
Hold on. Okay, okay. All right. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. I, I said, oh, it's seven seconds of my life I'm never going to get back. I said, I'm not going to the gym. Cancel my membership. I, I, we, we laugh, right? But you, you get the point that I'm trying to get at. Is that name your thing. Name your hardship, your difficulty, your problem, your challenge, your obstacle, the thing that's before you. And I'm not making light of it. And you'll understand in a minute why. But you've got to go through it. And you've got to let endurance do its thing. And let me tell you something. You know, having a conversation with my dear sister Rhoda the other day about her sister and about this latest news. And there's a part of my heart that goes out and I say, God, how much more? How much more do certain individuals that I know how much more do they have to go through? How much more disappointment? How many more closed doors in her face? How many more difficulties and obstacles and disappointments? How many more tragedies? How many more illnesses? I mean, really? God, can you, can you just press pause on this one? Can you get, can, 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 for this person, can you give them a get out of jail for free card? Not literally jail, right? Okay. The payoff, point four. The payoff is simply this, that when endurance reaches its goal, you are mature and complete. Do not confuse mature and complete with sinless and perfect. That's not what it means. Maturity. I, you know what? I, I'm going I'm I'm to praise on my son this morning. And you say, oh, yeah, my son. God bless you. Yeah, you back there. Um, we were going to church, and he had a big cup of coffee with him. He didn't put it in a travel mug. And I was distracted, and I was at a stop sign, and I was waiting, or a light, and I was waiting for it to change. And I uh, put my head down, I looked up, and, and I thought, yeah, okay, I'm going to, oh, you know, there's a guy behind me he wants to get through, so I'm moving closer and closer and closer, and a guy's moving up. And I think to myself, buddy, do I have to be literally in the middle of the road for you just to pass me and go right? So I, at some point, I just, I, I put it in, in reverse to back up, because like I'm literally out in the middle of the road, and this guy's looking at me like, okay, whatever. So I back up, but then I forgot that it was in reverse. And then I cranked it in drive. Guess where that cup of coffee went? And he was wearing a white t-shirt on top of that. A handsome bass player. And all he said was, oh, dad. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Usually for a 16-year-old, I'd be like, dad, when we get out of this car, I'm going to body slam you. I am going to bite your neck. I, I am going to put vinegar in your water bottle. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to get you, Dad. The point is, is that all of us have gone through stuff and, and, and God has worked what he needs to work in us. And we get to the point where our ouch are not as loud as they used to be. Where our first reaction is not, oh, God. It's, Lord, 
Can we make this count? Can something good come out of this? That's maturity. The completeness that he is after is not a, a like, like we've got everything we need financially, blah, blah. The point is, is that there's no part of our life that is just one gaping hole of mess that hasn't been dealt with. You get your heart broken in a relationship, you grieve. But you learn to get up and you move on. You have a child who's wayward and is walking away from the faith, and your heart is devastated, and you've been crying out to God for interaction, for deliverance, for something to happen, and you just learn to love your child and trust God and look forward to the day when he will do the inevitable, when that kid will come back home. See, that's being complete in all areas of our life. There's so much more I can say, but we're out of time. And the plane is touching the runway. Conclusion. God longs to form Christ-like character in us that remains composed in the midst of the chaos of life. He accomplishes that through cultivating endurance within us as we face the many forms of life's trials. The challenge for us today, in the words of Mission Impossible, should we accept it, is whether or not we will choose joy in the midst of trials, allowing endurance to form and shape the kind of character that will sustain us while the world falls apart around us. So what can you do about this? Is there anything practical here that you can take home? Number one. Accept the fact that life is hard. This guy has died and has probably left the memory of many of you, but there might be an occasional person who still might remember M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. He was a psychologist, marriage therapist. Um, he wrote a book, but we're looking back at it now and we say, what's the big deal? The point is, it's not so much what he wrote, it's the time that he wrote it. He wrote it kind of like in that 70s, 80s period of time where, where we were starting to drown in an unusual sense of optimism about life, that life is good and, and hey, you know, uh, everything should be wonderful and we've got credit and the wars are behind us and we're, we're prospering and, and buildings are going up and societies are getting better and blah, 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 right? And then all of a sudden, there was like a ground swell of individuals saying, no, no, you know what? Life is hard. There are people dying. There are people being abused. There's injustices all over the world. And, 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 and Scott was listening to the ground swell. And then when he finally came out with the book, it was like finally North America stopped playing the game and said, you know what, Scott, you're right. Life is difficult. And his whole point was simply this. The moment you accept that fact... The moment you accept that fact, it changes everything. Because you're not blown away and knocked off your horse and out of wind the moment life happens to you. Because life is difficult. Heaven will be good. Our eternity with God will be wonderful. 
But while we're still here on a broken world, in a broken world, life is life. Secondly, be real about your trials, but be realistic. Okay? Be real. In other words, be real about your pain. You're, you're allowed to say ouch, and you're allowed to say ouch really loud. And you're allowed to say, this, this is terrible. I don't know why this has happened to me again. This is the fifth job I've lost this year. Man. Be real about what you go through, but realistic. It's not the end. And because you're a follower of Jesus, because you've got the scriptures, the community of faith, and the Spirit of God living in you, it's never the end. It's always the beginning of increased joy, and it's always the beginning of your being transformed to become more like Jesus. So be realistic about it. Your attitude is yours to choose. I need not say anything more about that. Your attitude towards what you're facing is yours to choose. You're not a victim. Joy is the Holy Spirit's gift to you, but it must be cultivated. It must be cultivated. Seek God's accompaniment in your trial rather than seeking to be removed from it. I've always said this, that there are individuals who just live in a way that they assume that they should be exempted or exited from the trials of life. God doesn't exit us from life. He accompanies us in life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil for thy... Yea, though I walk, not yea, though I've been parachuted out of the valley of death. Sixthly, you need to let endurance work itself out within you. Let it do its work. Let it do its work. Beautiful words of Jesus, and with this I close. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. So here's our benediction today. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy lay that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down. Let me tell you something. The time between Thursday night to Sunday morning You want to talk about it hitting the fan? No one has ever gone through that. As a matter of fact, later on in verse 4, the author of Hebrews says, none of us here have resisted sin to the point of shedding our blood. So let us have hope. I'm going to invite Tyler to come forward. Worship team. This morning I want to pray very, very specifically. I know all of us can come up and, and all of us individually have our challenges and difficulties of, of things that are weighing us down and they're legitimate, as I said. Be real about your pain, but be realistic. 
So obviously, we want to pray with you, irregardless of what your issue is. But we don't just want to pray for the issue. I just have this sense that there are probably some of us, maybe even many of us, who kind of need this capacity to see beyond the immediate and see to the long term of what God's trying to do in us, the people he wants us to become, the work that he's trying to accomplish through trials, that somehow we have lost the long view. We have gone through so much that that's all we see is what's right before us. I believe that a lot of us this morning need an infusion of joy that will sustain us as we continue to endure and persevere and become resilient when we fall and get back up, as patience is cultivated. So I don't know what your issue is this morning, but this I know. Our God wants to give us joy, and our God wants to give us a perspective long term so that the individuals that we are becoming are the individuals that will shine in this world, that our lives will itself be a message to people that don't know God. When they see you coping and getting through and not falling apart, their eyes get riveted on you and they ask themselves the questions, why? Everybody else is falling apart. Why aren't you falling apart? Because it's not just about us coping. It's about the world seeing Jesus in us and coming to him. Amen? Okay. Tyler's going to lead us in this song of worship. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you are looking for prayer this morning, if you are desiring prayer, please come forward. We'll pray with you. But I especially want to challenge you this morning. If you are in a fresh, if you are in need of a fresh outpouring of joy and having God's long-term perspective, please come. We'd love to pray for you.